is a lot going on across Alabama today, as well as Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma. Lots going on in Tennessee, as well as the states of Virginia and Texas and West Virginia, too. Welcome in. It is y'all. We got all of those. Did I, did I leave out a few? I think I did. I think I left out North Carolina and South Carolina. My apologies. <laughs> Uh, we, we cover 16 states here. That's what we do each and every day on the y'all. I, I better, just for accuracy's sake, I better run right back through the 16 states. Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, West Virginia. I think that's 16. Okay. That's how we get started. A little bit behind on this Monday, but we're going to do our best to catch up. Hello, John Rawl is my name. I'm the general of all 16 southern states. This is what we call the Y'all Show, and we give you a couple of hours of southern conversation, and we want you to be part of that. We have our text line. We have our email address. We'd love to hear from you as we blend in all of what's going on across the southeast today on this Monday, as well as other entertainment news of the region some sports information to pass along, as well as good Southern culture. And coming up in this first hour, we've got headlines that we'll be sharing with you as we've got information on the federal government. Looks like it's heading to a shutdown. The representatives all sent away from Washington, D.C. for the weekend. We'll give you the latest out of Capitol Hill on that. Plus, the border continues to surge, the U.S.-Mexican border, that is. And at least one Democratic Texas mayor is not very happy about it. We'll give you all of that. It looks like the Writers Guild and Hollywood Studios have reached a tentative deal to stop their strike. We'll give you all the latest out of Tinseltown on that. A tragic story, a couple of tragic stories out of the Sunshine State. Six people killed in a train crash in Hillsborough County over the weekend, as well as, God, what a terrible story. A woman, her torso was found in the mouth of an alligator. And unfortunately, this lady lost her life when an alligator, it appears, attacked her. We'll give you the info out of Florida on that one. Plus, have you heard about what's going on in New Orleans? A real, real crisis potentially brewing there as there is what's called a saltwater edge, or rather saltwater wedge in the Mississippi River. And it's actually affecting the water, the, the drinking water supply of the Crescent City. And I'll let you know the latest on how officials are going to try to stop that and if you've got plans to go to new orleans anytime soon you might want to think about checking in on whether those plans are still going to be in place with the hotels and such of new orleans because this is a big problem going on in one of our region's biggest cities the not fried chicken ice cream has been recalled in 39 states we'll tell you what exactly that means and had you ever heard of not fried chicken ice cream Hmm. Somehow, ice cream and chicken seems to not go together, but maybe without having a a little sample of that ice cream, I can't speak for, I can't tell you how good or bad it is. But right now, a real scare, as it looks like they may have something that uh, potentially could be harmful. We'll let you know about that. The pharmacy Rite Aid is going to be closing hundreds of stores across the, the country, many of which are here in the southeast. We'll give you a list of some closures of Rite Aid, if you've got one near you. Some celebrity news to tell you about. Chris Brown is being sued. Speaking of fried chicken, 
a few moments ago as we were telling about fried chicken ice cream. Chris Brown now being sued for $2 million over unpaid Popeye's chicken loans. He owns a couple of Popeye's restaurants. And now the singer, Chris Brown, is being sued for over $2 million. It's a lot of chicken. Also, we'll tell you in our entertainment headlines today, sad news out of Nashville, a former NHL player for the Anaheim Mighty Ducks and the the former fiancé of one of the celebrity people on TV, the Chrisleys, Savannah Chrisley, her ex-fiancé, Nicholas Curdiles, was killed in a motor crash, motorcycle crash in Nashville early on Saturday morning at age 29. We'll give you the info out of Music City on that one. And also, Taylor Swift in Kansas City rooting on the Chiefs. Why was she there? We'll tell you all about it as we go through our headlines across the southeast today. Also, here in this opening hour of y'all, we have hashtag hullabaloo. And speaking of celebs, we've got a text coming in that has to do with Jonathan Majors. If you're not familiar with him, he's an actor, been in a bunch of different TV and movie roles. But one thing he recently was in is he portrayed Nat Love in the series The Harder They Fall. And Jonathan Majors, we've got a lot of information about this southern boy and actor and he's doing pretty well out in Hollywood and on TV and on the on the big screen as well. Jonathan Majors info all part of our hashtag hullabaloo for hour number one. Hour two today in addition to news we've got our southern history spotlight. Today is the day that the Bill of Rights first started going forward in Congress. Just after the Constitution was set in motion the Bill of Rights birthday you could say is today We'll discuss that. Plus, today is the birthday of the guy who said the past is not even the past, or something like that. William Faulkner from Oxford, Mississippi. Today is the day that William Faulkner was born back in the late 1800s. We'll tell you more about this Nobel-winning writer and one of the South's greatest scribes, William Faulkner, on his birthday. Plus, a guy, a couple of guys from the South who did pretty well in the sports business Tuscaloosa native and former Mississippi State head football coach, the first black head coach in all of the SEC. Sylvester Croom's birthday is today. Happy birthday, Sly Croom. Also today, out of Arkansas, it's Scotty Pippen's birthday. The guy who helped the Chicago Bulls be a dynasty on the hard court back in the 1990s. So Sly and Scotty with big birthdays, and we'll tell you all about it in our Southern History Spotlight of Hour 2. We also have a little food section that we call the Southern Recipe of the Day. And coming up in that, last week we told you about, on I think it was the Friday edition, 16 Southern snack foods that you need to know about. We had, we had a really good conversation about great Southern snack foods, things like divinity, things like moon pies and RC colas, and boiled peanuts was a big part of that well keeping that tradition of southern snacks going forward we found a company actually called southern snacks and they put out great potato chips and so today i want to tell you about this company called southern snacks they have the website southernsnacks.us and their lineup of sweet potato baked chips all that is going to be part of our food spotlight of hour two Hour three today, we also, in addition to news, 
have our Southern Culture Spotlight. And this comes to us today courtesy of a guest preacher I got to hear on Sunday as he was in from, I forgot the name of the town, I think I know it, Nagano, but it's a huge city in Japan of 9 million people. And it has to be one of the biggest cities in that country. But he was a guy who is a missionary in Japan. And he was visiting the South this this week and, and uh, had a great, great uh, time listening to him during his sermon on Sunday. And the reason I'm bringing him up today is because he talked about in his, his uh, testimony on Sunday, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. That is all about salt and light. And so with that in mind, we're going to talk about the light of the South because this guy, Jeremy, who was the guest preacher, talked about how one of his favorite things is to look at the light pop, the light pollution map. Have y'all ever seen those things? They show up on Google searches and more. I think on an Apple phone, if you zoom out enough, you can see like the satellite the satellite view of the Earth. And at nighttime, it's stunning to see how certain areas are lit up and certain areas are dark. And so with that in mind, thanks to the thanks to the conversation from Sunday in church, I have light pollution on my mind. And we're going to walk through the southeast and look at how the south's pollution map appears. And where are some of the some of the dark places what are some of the darkest places in the southeast and what i mean by that is that's where you don't have a lot of light at nighttime that means there's probably not a lot of people living in these areas and i'm going to scan the southeast as we wrap up today's y'all show with this light pollution coverage all per- part of matthew 5 13 to 16 and i'll read that and our southern culture spotlight plus we'll give you an idea of what's ahead the rest of the week here on y'all if you want to get involved with the program 615-208-4184 that's our 24 hour a day text line and that comes right to us here at the y'all show 615-208-4184 or anytime you'd like to you can drop us an email m-a-i-l mail at y'all.com it's extremely easy to get in touch with us here at y'all and we look forward to hearing from all y'all let's dive into the headlines of the southeast today and we go to washington dc for the biggest headline probably all week long and that's what's going to go on on capitol hill as it looks like we've got a government shutdown a government shutdown that's going to likely hit right around october 1st if things don't get sorted out first as the government heading toward this shutdown and it's going to if it happens disrupt a lot of services it's going to keep people from working and it's going to really be a squeeze on workers who depend on their federal government check and, and more to come through on schedule. And right now, Congress is going back and forth, Republicans with infighting. In fact, some members on the far right are in a push to oust Kevin McCarthy if he works with Democrats. That's the story out of Washington, D.C. today. And so the government shutdown would happen October 1st if indeed something can't be figured out here in the next few days. A shutdown happens when Congress fails to pass some type of funding legislation that is signed into law by the president. 
and lawmakers are supposed to pass 12 different spending bills to fund agencies across the government. But the process is time-consuming, so they often resort to passing a temporary extension called a Continuing Resolution, or CR, and that allows the government to keep operating. (coughs) Who's going to Vegas and putting money on whether they can come up with a CR before October 1st? I... I think they will. I think they'll I think they'll chicken out. This is not a good look for Republicans because we're a month, I'm, I'm sorry, we're a year away from another election. Both the president and Congress will be up for re-election just about 13 months from now. And the last thing Republicans need are more talking points for the Democrats to say, look, See, these people had control of the House, and they could not come up with a plan, and they had all this infighting. They're trying to throw out Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. These people don't know what they're doing, and we don't need to keep them in charge. So let's go Democrat House, Democrat Senate, and then we're going to have a Democrat reelected as president. That's If you're a Democrat, that's how you feel right now. So Democrats are kind of sitting back in the corner, twiddling their thumbs, I would say kind of pushing for more turmoil within the Republican House. And remember, they only have a handful of seats, the Republicans do, over the Democrats. And this is not a good thing if it were to happen. Now, you've got some hardliners here that want to see some regulation. They want to see, instead of the good old spending like drunken sailors happen, continuing to happen with our Congress, some real accountability when it comes to how the government spends its money. And therefore, that's why they're going to have a lot of contentious moments between now and October 1st between the Republican side if they don't get on the same sheet of paper, if they don't get something that they can pass. you got Representatives like Marjorie Green, who went back and forth last week flip-flopping. And we're going to find out this week where they really stand. Do they stand with Kevin McCarthy? I saw an interview just today with someone who is a Texas Republican representative, and he's out of the San Antonio area. And the question was asked about Kevin McCarthy's speaker. Is he going to be able to hold on to that? And this guy's response was, who else but Kevin McCarthy? There's there's nobody out there right now that can easily step in and be the House Speaker, according to this congressman from Texas. So we'll keep an eye on the government shutdown, and is it going to get something together to, this week where Republicans can all be on the same sheet of music and they can make this thing go forward and we can avoid another shutdown? shut down. Okay, more national stories that are affecting the Southeast. This one kind of permeates from the South and heads toward Washington, D.C., and that's the crisis on the U.S.-Mexican border. As the mayor of El Paso, is his name's Mayor Leeser, and he's coming out now being very critical of the border. He says the city of El Paso only has so many resources, and they're at a breaking point right now. That's what this Democratic mayor, Oscar Leeser, is saying over the weekend. 
and he's sounding the alarm about how towns like El Paso are at this breaking point. As El Paso has faced over 2,000 migrants per day crossing the border and seeking asylum in that one Texas city. And it has put a huge strain on it as El Paso is just one of several border cities stretching from Texas to California that are facing the surge and mostly Venezuelan asylum seekers. And they're coming up through Mexico. In fact, some stories coming out today that Mexico is now going to, if they agree to do this and follow through with this, more importantly, they're going to essentially do what INS does here in this country. They're going to round up people south of the Rio Grande and send them back to their countries of origin. And I find that very helpful. But as this congressman from Texas, as I was just referencing in the previous story, he uh, doesn't want to trust anything coming from the Mexican government. And I don't blame him. I mean, he's got a whole lot more knowledge living in San Antonio of, of what Mexico has failed to do as a country when it comes to immigration. And so cities like San Antonio, El Paso, certainly Texas cities in, in most cases, but this is now stretching to cities all over the country. When you've got 500,000 people from, for example, Venezuela alone that have come across in recent months, it's a dang shame. I'll tell you what, I know how crazy it is. The other day, I was driving down the road, and luckily I'm a little bit of a vexologist, meaning I like to study flags. And uh, I saw this SUV, probably a 2007 Ford Bronco, or Ford, I don't know what Ford's SUVs are called, but it was a rather large SUV looking car, a late model car or I guess see I don't know enough about cars about 2007 model if I had to guess okay driving down the road right here in the south nowhere near the Rio Grande by the way and he's driving down the car with a flag hanging out the passenger window and it wasn't a big flag it was more like a 12 by 12 by 18 inch flag kind of like a flag you would wave with your hand and not put out in front of your house but he had it attached to his car and it kind of looked like a a flag and this car kind of looked like a a limousine of which like the president rides in with the official flags up on the front of the car and this guy was driving around with this this flag and I, I knew it wasn't I knew it wasn't some kind of flag for any other reason like to celebrate a college team or a, maybe a, a child's birthday or something like that. It looked very governmental, this flag. And because of my extreme knowledge of flags, I somehow pulled this one out of you know where. And I said, I, this this flag was sort of navy blue with about five stars in the middle. It's a pretty classy looking flag, actually. But when I saw it, I said, that's the flag of Honduras. And you know what? It was. I had to go back and double check. But this guy's driving around with a Honduran flag. Like, way to go Honduras. And it looks like he's the president of Honduras. Driving around here at the roads of the southeast. I don't know. Are we having an influx of 
lots of Hondurans as well. And if you see some of that footage coming across the border, there are people from all over the world, not, not to pick on our Central American countries, but uh, there are people coming from no, no telling where coming back in or coming into this country illegally. And some news today that the United States and Mexico working together to possibly help stop all this, and that's going to make mayors like Mayor Oscar Leeser of El Paso, Texas, happy as he says his city is at a breaking point right now. Now let's go to the left coast here. The Writers Guild and Hollywood Studios, it looks like, have reached a tentative agreement to end their strike. There's no deal yet for the actors' strike that's been going on. But the Writers Guild of America announcing the deal in a joint statement with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, saying that the WGA has reached a tentative agreement with the AMPTP. This was made possible by the enduring solidarity of WGA members and extraordinary support of our union siblings who joined us on the picket lines for over 146 days. This is a three-year contract agreement that evidently has been agreed to by the two parties. I did happen to see in the last couple of days the Hollywood studios come out with something saying, this is our last and final offer. I don't know what it was, but that was a pretty good tactic on their part to help put that strike to an end. As it looks like writers are going to be going back. And I don't miss them a, a bit. I don't personally watch a lot of the shows on TV that are heavily influenced by writers. I don't watch the reality shows either. Frankly, I just don't watch TV. I'm all about doing the y'all show, y'all. <laughs> so uh, I like the idea that some changes have happened in recent days. For example, Monday Night Football has double headers because of the writer's strike. So you got football on ABC and ESPN in primetime on Mondays for the time being because of the writer's strike. I like, look, I like people going back and digging up some shows that may have aired originally on a on a streaming service and then they can pull it out and put it on network TV like Yellowstone for example I think that's pretty cool so the heck with the writers if if, uh, if if the networks don't want to put up with their crazy demands they can come up with other plans and that's what they've been doing but it looks like the Writers Guild and Hollywood come into an agreement by the way the y'all show is not scripted everything we say here is completely off the cuff we do not have a staff of writers we probably should we probably should have somebody telling me exactly what to say but unfortunately it's just coming off of my very very arcane brain <laughs> okay sad news out of the sunshine state six people have died three children part of that six fatalities after a train hit an suv in hillsborough county in the state of florida this happened saturday evening as responders came out on the scene and found a Cadillac Escalade SUV looking like a soft drink can that's been smashed, according to the sheriff of Hillsborough County, Florida, Chad Cronister. The freight train had been traveling around 55 miles per hour when it hit this SUV, which had been taking people to a Quincenera party, which I think is the equivalent of a Sweet 16 party for people of Hispanic origin, I think mostly Mexican, I think. But anyway, that's where these people were going, and 
unfortunately, three kill, three kids killed and three adults in a terrible tragedy in Hillsborough County in Florida from the weekend. Also in the state of Florida, wildlife officials in the Sunshine State have now killed a 13-foot, 8.5-inch alligator. And they did this after the gator was seen with the body of a 41-year-old woman in its mouth. And this happened in Pinellas County, north of Tampa. There was a canal in Largo where, unfortunately, it appears Sabrina Peckham, the 41-year-old woman, must have been going down the wrong path when an alligator attacked her. And just before Friday evening, her body was spotted in the alligator's mouth. Just a horrible, horrible story. In fact, I was reading about this story and people in that neighborhood had only been seeing gators five feet long and and smaller. They'd never seen this humongous gator that killed this woman. A 13-foot, 8-and-a-half-inch gator is what killed this woman. The record for the longest gator in the whole state of Florida is 14-foot, 3-and-a-half inches, and that was harvested in Brevard County back in 2010 inside Lake Washington. So this gator that killed this woman, and they didn't even know it was there, was only about five or six inches smaller than the largest gator ever reported in the state of Florida. A heartbreaking story from the weekend. We will continue on with more news headlines here in Hour 1. Got a lot of stuff going on across the South, and here at Y'all, we keep you apprised of all the goings-on. When we come back, we got info on saltwater wedges in the Mississippi River, and that is threatening the drinking water supply of New Orleans. That's coming up. Plus, we'll tell you about Rite Aid as it's closing hundreds of stores across the country. We'll tell you if your local Rite Aid is affected. That's right ahead. That's Jacksonville, Florida's own Gary U.S. Bonds. We're back on the Y'all Show. Hope y'all are doing really good here as we're kind of wrapping up the month of September here in the next few days. Let's pick up the news stories as we continue on with y'all. And speaking of the Big Easy, there's something called a saltwater wedge in the Mississippi River right now, and it's going to actually threaten the water supply of New Orleans. Experts say this saltwater wedge is moving around one and a half miles upriver every day 
and it's creating unsafe levels of saline. It's called a saltwater wedge, and it's making its way up from the Gulf of Mexico, threatening not only New Orleans, but other Louisiana communities. So, yeah, a saltwater wedge, according to Governor John Bell Edwards, he met Friday with local officials to head off the problem caused by the drought-related low water levels and calling the situation serious. He urged people not to panic, not to go on a bottled water buying spree, but to conserve tap water. That's what Governor John Bell Edwards said on Friday. The Corps of Engineers says they're working to bring as much as 36 million gallons of fresh water from rivers into the New Orleans area to dilute the saltiness to safe levels. The Corps of Engineers built an underwater barrier called a sill to create a basin to stop the salt water, but the low level of the fresh water in the Mississippi River is no longer capable of preventing the seawater from moving in, and that's what's created unsafe levels of saline at municipal water intakes. So, looking at the Mississippi River, of course, it's the gigantic river that comes flowing through New Orleans. You know, it's got tributaries throughout most of the country, frankly. I mean, you, you go into Pennsylvania and the Monongahela and all that ultimately feeds into what becomes the Ohio River. And that flows down toward its intersection with the Mississippi at Cairo, Illinois. And all along the way, you got the Cumberland that dumps into the Ohio. you got the Tennessee River with all the cities of freshwater intake coming in from all the rivers that flow into the Tennessee and the Cumberland. And that's just on the southern side. I can't even tell you what rivers flow into the Ohio. I guess perhaps the Wabash and other Yankee rivers. I don't. I'm not an expert on Yankee rivers. Forgive me. I can't even believe that I just told you about the Monongahela, but I did. <laughs> but uh, when you get to Cairo, Illinois, that's the junction there that the Ohio and the Mississippi meet, and then it goes straight down to the Gulf of Mexico from there. And you got rivers from both sides, from both Arkansas, Missouri, Tennessee, western Kentucky, and more, all dumping into the Mississippi River. And there's plenty of water. Of course, if you get into some of the Mississippi lakes like Enid and Sardis, and also Grenada Lake, those lakes were created by the Corps of Engineers primarily for flood control of the Mississippi, but they're really concerned about flood control of the Mississippi to protect New Orleans. And here we are now. Maybe the Corps of Engineers did too much protection on some of those rivers like the Yazoo and the Yalabusha that helped form some of these lakes that they've they've kept too much water from going down because they do have lakes that are done primarily for New Orleans protection and I don't know I'm not a I'm not a, a river navigation expert by any means but kind of odd that of all the times we're having problems with fresh water perhaps in New Orleans and the governor urged people not to panic don't go buying lots of bottled water right now because that's going to create even more havoc that's kind of what happens when you build a city below sea level as New Orleans is. All right, elsewhere in our 
breakdown of news stories from across the southeast today. Rite Aid, the drugstore chain, is now negotiating with creditors of a, over a bankruptcy plan that would include liquidation of hundreds of Rite Aid locations. And they're going to close Rite Aid roughly 400 to 500 stores and either sell or let creditors take over what's left of the 2,100 Rite Aid locations that are in 17 United States states. They're currently trying to figure out what this Philadelphia-based Rite Aid is going to do after they face more than $3.3 billion in debt and more than 1,000 federal lawsuits over Rite Aid's alleged role in the opioid epidemic, charges that Rite Aid is denying. But yes, it looks like a lot of unfortunate closures and if you're in a state that's got Rite Aid, you, you know your Rite Aid probably is on life support at best. And so I don't want to go through the list of... Because I don't think they've actually come up with a complete store closure list. The Wall Street Journal has reported on this. But it's not looking good for Rite Aid. So if you have a Wall Street Journal, WSJ.com account, you might can find out a little bit more than what I'm able to tell you today. But... You might want to change that pharmacy, your prescriptions over to another pharmacy if you're a Rite Aid customer. Can't believe that they will be evidently going out of business nationwide. At least hundreds of them, for sure, are going to do that. Let's tell you about a story coming out of the South. It's got to do with ice cream. Have you ever heard of not fried chicken ice cream? What What better ice cream flavor than the great taste of fried chicken? Well, a company makes the not fried chicken ice cream, Life Raft Treats, and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has announced that Life Raft Treats has recalled the not fried chicken line of products as well as Life is Peachy. And they've recalled these two flavors of ice cream due to possible listeria contamination as these products were shipped to consumers in 39 states back at the end of August and this is a really unusual type of ice cream I'm looking at the kind of the branding of not fried chicken ice cream from life raft treats it actually has on its label something about Charleston, South Carolina. I don't know if it's made in Charleston or if it's based on a fried chicken recipe out of Charleston, but yeah, it's got Charleston SC, home of the dogs, right there on the packaging. But this recall includes two varieties of the ice cream treats, the 64-ounce bucket and the 2.5-ounce bars of the not fried chicken and that other one life is peachy the treats designed to look like pieces of fried chicken are described as life raft treats signature offering and I mean it sounds pretty cool they actually have a waffle flavored ice cream and crushed cornflakes surrounding a cookie bone something like that then they got this life is peachy and it's got peach-flavored frozen desserts made to mimic the appearance of actual peaches. Hey, 
we got Christmas about to come up here in a couple of months, y'all. Assuming they don't really have a listeria outbreak or they have got this thing solved, I would like to have somebody gift me underneath the Christmas tree some life raft treats. I'd love to have a piece of ice cream fried chicken. Sounds great. Sounds great. By the way, these products from life raft treats have been sent to consumers in the southern states of Alabama, Arkansas, as well as Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and that's it. So I don't think Oklahoma, and I don't think I said West Virginia, but most of the southern states that have these products in their stores be very, very cautious. They're having this recall of the Life Raft Treats brands of not fried chicken ice cream and life is peachy ice cream. Yummy. Well, that wraps up our news headlines for hour one of y'all. When we come back, we're going to wrap up hour one in its entirety with a spotlight on actor Jonathan Majors. He has been in all kinds of TV and film work here recently, but you might know him from the Harder They Fall, where he portrayed Nat Love. We're going to tell you a lot more about this very talented guy and other social media fun that's come in courtesy of our hashtag all blue and that will take us to the top of the hour all that is right ahead on y'all country courtesy of southern pacific and they bring on a good birmingham lady to join them on that song miss emmylou harris and thing about you a kind of southern california combination isn't just that 
little song right there. It's also Jonathan Majors, who was born in California back in 1989. He's now 35 years. Let's see. No, he's only 34. Sorry about that, Jonathan, my fellow Jonathan. Sorry about that. Uh, He's only 34, but if you don't know about Mr. Majors, he's got quite a career going in the acting world as he has been in a lot of roles, but probably most notably he played Nat Love in The Harder They Fall. And we're talking about Jonathan Majors today because it's time now for Hashtag Hullabaloo. And Lana is on X as she has the account Milana the Doula. And she says here this week, y'all, Jonathan Majors definitely said Mrs., not Mrs., with an R in there, said Mrs. and not Mrs. He said it's so country, too. Like that is such a southerner thing to say. Y'all heard the Mrs. So whenever Lana put this up on social media this week, and we had our research staff here find this, it got us to looking into Mr. Majors. And let's tell you about Jonathan Michael Majors as he was born September 7th, 1989. As we said, now 34 years young. And he's an actor who has degrees from both the University of North Carolina and Yale. Not y'all, but Yale. As he got a bachelor's degree from the UNC School of the Arts and then went on to attend Yale's School of Drama and got an MFA back in 2016 from that Ivy League institution. Majors has been starring in all kinds of films like The Last Black Man in San Francisco and then it was in the HBO HBO series called Lovecraft Country which he received a nomination for a Prime Time Emmy Award for that. And then he's been portraying this Nat Love character in the western The Harder They Fall. And Nat Love was a real-life black cowboy in the Old West. Y'all should check it out sometime. Look up Nat Love. He also played the role of Jesse Brown in the war film Devotion. That was a fantastic movie about the black naval aviator in the Korean War that lost his life. If you haven't seen Devotion, do yourself a a favor and go see that. He played Jesse Brown in that real-life story about a Mississippian who would give his life as a naval aviator in the Korean War. One of the first black naval aviators, actually. Also, want to tell you that he was in the film Creed 3, where he was a, a boxer in that. And then he's been in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Kang the Conqueror. Jonathan Majors, very talented and up-and-coming actor, who spent some of his life in the South after coming over from California and has that degree from UNC. And Lana, thank you for bringing us the attention of Jonathan Majors, a very up-and-coming actor. And, uh, yeah, he might have said Mrs. and not Mrs. But either way, he's a good California Southerner, and we'll take him. We'll, we'll claim him as our own. <laughs> and that wraps up Hour 1. we got more y'all coming up included into Hour 2, our Southern History Spotlight.
We're back talking about the Southeast with the general of all things Southern, John Rawl. Good to have you back here. Hope your Monday is going swimmingly. We've got more headlines from across the Southeast that we'll be diving into in just a sec. Also, in this second hour of today's Y'all Show, we're going to be talking about the Bill of Rights as it was birthed on this date in history. Also, speaking of births, Mr. William Faulkner was born on this day back in the late 1800s in I think he was born in New Albany, Mississippi, although his early years were spent in Ripley and, and then, then many of his years in Oxford. William Faulkner, the great Southern writer with a birthday today, plus a couple of other Southerners that have done well in the sports world, Bob McAdoo, also Sylvester Croom, and Scotty Pippen with birthdays today. Happy birthday on this 25th day of September. So we got plenty of Southern history and more to talk about in this hour. Plus, we've got food on our mind, and we're going to continue the discussion of snacks. Y'all like good snacks? Well, I found the website southernsnacks.us, and I'm going to tell you about this Southern-based company. It better be Southern if their website's southernsnacks.us. <laughs> but they offer sweet potato baked chips, and we'll go in and learn a little bit more about this company and some of the good, good stuff that they serve up. At Southern Snacks. All that's part of our Southern Food Spotlight of this Y'all Monday edition. And before we get out of here today, we're going to talk about lighting up the South and what's not lit up. Because if you live in an area that's not very lit up, I'm going to talk about it because I've got the light pollution map pulled up in front of me. And in hour three today, I'm going to go through the Southeast to tell you the bright spots and the dark spots of the South. At least according to those out of the world satellite imagery that you can find now on like Google and other websites that do a good job of of covering all of the the satellite imagery. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm out of this world here today. So thank you for tuning in. You can join us here. You can drop us an email at y'all as our email address is mail at y'all.com. That's the way to get in touch with us here on the show that shakes the Southland. Let's go back into some of the news headlines today. The big national story is that the federal government appears to be headed toward a shutdown. As just over the last couple of days, Congress has been out as Kevin McCarthy has dismissed them from D.C. to go back and face their constituents and figure out here when they go into the beauty parlors and the nail salons and the churches and synagogues of the South. By the way, today is Yom Kippur. So for all of our Jewish listeners, I hope this is a very special day for you. But as they're out in their natural environment, away from Washington, D.C., they're likely facing the music. And that is, come on, we can't have another government shutdown. That's where the government appears to be. And if they don't get this figured out, there will be a government shutdown starting October 1st. We're just a week away, less than a week away from that shutdown happening if they can't come up with a continuing resolution to keep it going. And then you've got the whole drama over Kevin McCarthy. And look, if he can't avoid this shutdown, I would have to be in the camp of saying, look here, this guy was put in there because he was a compromise. And if he can't make the compromise of the Republicans stand up and, and make this thing go through so they don't have more baggage 
when they get ready for the general election of 2024, something that the Democrats will use against them if this shutdown ends up happening. I don't see how some of the people can defend Kevin McCarthy at that point. And so he has, he, he better be working overtime to try to avoid this government shutdown in some way. Now, I know some of the hardliners want to cut out government waste and such, but if you're a conservative, you just don't need this bad, bad image, a black eye that you can hopefully avoid if a shutdown can be avoided. Also, at the border with U.S.-Mexican border, you've got a lot of immigrants coming over, specifically from Venezuela right now. And the governor of El Paso, Democratic Mayor Oscar Leeser, is saying that the city of El Paso only has so many resources, and they're at a breaking point. And El Paso alone has faced over 2,000 migrants a day crossing the border and then seeking asylum in that West Texas city. And you've got lots of towns on the entire U.S.-Mexican border that are just being run over by people, a lot of them from the nation of Venezuela. I think I saw somewhere where a half million Venezuelans are considered to be asylum seekers or something like that, as that country has had tremendous problems over the last few years. And that's where the majority, it appears, are coming in from Venezuela. But they're really coming in from all over the world. And cities like El Paso have just about reached their limit. The writer strike in Hollywood, they've kind of come together, and it looks like they've got a tentative agreement to end the strike. The deal that they've got comes just five days before the strike would have become the longest in the Writers Guild history and the longest strike in Hollywood in more than 70 years. The tentative deal to end the writer's strike, now it looks like in place. And it's a three-year contract settled after several days of talks between the WGA and the AMPTP negotiators. And it looks like they've got a, a good deal between the Writers Guild and studios, but the actor strike continues, by the way. They haven't come up with a plan yet. Also, in our headlines across the southeast today, do not go and kill a seagull, okay? Two guys at Folly Beach in South Carolina have just discovered you don't kill a seagull. As they did that, 20-year-old Sebastian Whitesock has been arrested and charged with malicious injury to animals and personal property. He was arrested over the weekend, along with 19-year-old Braden Durst and... He was charged with ill treatment of animals. Police report from Folly Beach says that the police force there, just outside of Charleston, responded Saturday to reports of a man who had just killed a seagull after officers approached the two men. White Sock admitted to killing the bird while Durst said he filmed it. And the video reportedly showed White Sock throwing a large stick at the bird and the bird falling. And they got excited about killing a seagull. And now their mugshots are up on news outlets across the southeast. And we're talking about it on the Y'all Show. You don't kill seagulls, evidently. I didn't know that. I really thought that it wouldn't be this big of a deal. But I guess if the law says you have animal cruelty, it doesn't matter if it's a dog, cat, 
are a seagull. And these guys charged with malicious injury to animals and the other one with ill treatment of animals. I wonder if alcohol was in play there on what was uh, probably a lovely day in Folly Beach, South Carolina. Also want to let you know about Chris Brown. He's being sued over unpaid loans used to purchase two Popeye restaurants. Chris Brown, who's had a successful entertainment career, now, according to documents, as of February 17th of this year, he, according to a lawsuit, owes $2,140,901.74 in unpaid principal and interest as, according to City National Bank, they're the ones suing. They're alleging that it loaned him money to acquire a pair of Popeye's locations, and the lawsuit claims the loan, which was given to several people, including Brown and the Dream, never was paid. It never was paid back. And this lawsuit comes from the state of Georgia, where evidently these locations that Chris Brown had were. According to the report, City National Bank has been seeking the money since 2015. This was first reported by The Blast. But singer Chris Brown has got some money to pay up. That's a lot of chicken. Two million dollars <laughs> for, I guess that's a million dollars a piece for a Popeye's franchise. Does that sound about right to y'all? Is a Popeye's worth a million dollars? I don't know. I mean, right now I'm just happy to get that Popeye's in my mouth because a lot of times the locations around me, at least, either the drive-through or the the usually it's the lobby. The lobby's closed, and I can't have get in there. But the Virginia native Chris Brown, who's been with Jive Records and one of the most successful R&B singers of all time. Did you know that? He's called by some the king of R&B. And he's got a lot of uh, a lot of fans. Some people even compare him kind of similar to Michael Jackson for his talent and stage presence. From Tappahannock, Virginia, is the 50, no, rather not 50, he's 34 years old. Not bad. Very successful since he debuted around 2005 and has had huge, huge success on the charts and many, many albums that have done quite well. In fact, if I pull up his album sales, for example, he's had great success with that debut self-titled Chris Brown, which came back out in 2005. And he's also just done well throughout the years. Chris Brown, I guess when you do that well, you can go out and spend money on Things like Popeyes, but you got to pay your loans back, Chris. I don't know if they taught you that in R&B school when you borrow money from banks like what is the bank you got it from? Citibank. Let's see here. I, I said it earlier. Yes, City National Bank. Okay, not Citibank. City National Bank. So pay that money back, Chris. Come on, Chris. Okay. Sad news out of Nashville. Over the weekend, former 
National Hockey League player Nicholas Kurdals died after a motorcycle crash. He was 29 years old. He was a one-time player for the Anaheim Ducks of the NHL. And over the weekend, he drove his motorcycle through a stop sign and hit the driver's side of an SUV, according to Metro Nashville Police. And he died later at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. According to police, they don't anticipate any charges in the crash. He played in several games in the NHL back in the 2016 through 2018 seasons. And most notably to a lot of people in the South, this guy who was born in Texas, he actually was born in East Texas, but grew up, I think, out West. He played college hockey for the Badgers of Wisconsin. And a lot of people may know Kurt Iles because he was engaged to Savannah Chrisley of Chrisley Knows Best. They split up in 2020. But over the weekend, Savannah Chrisley posted on social media about his death saying, I miss you and I love you. We loved hard and I can't wait to ride bikes along the beaches of heaven with you one day. Sad story coming from Nashville for this one-time NHL player. And Nashvillean turned Californian turned, well, actually, Pennsylvanian turned Hendersonvillean turned Nashvillean turned Californian and now perhaps a Kansas Cityan, Taylor Swift. She was out at the Kansas City Chiefs game over the weekend as the Chiefs had a big game. And she's got this flirtation going on, if you will, with Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs, the Super Bowl champions. And over the weekend, the 12-time Grammy Award winner was in KCMO to see the Chiefs play the Chicago Bears Sunday at Arrowhead Stadium, an absolute beatdown, by the way, the Chiefs had against the Bears. And Taylor Swift was in the press box watching the game alongside Travis Kelsey's mama, Donna and got real excited when Travis grabbed a three-yard touchdown pass in the third quarter as the Chiefs went on to win 41-10 to over Chicago. But Taylor Swift, who for the last couple of days has been in a social media engagement, if you will, with this NFL star as he's trying to, to woo her, and she's available to be wooed. Taylor, if you're listening... Give us a call here at the Y'all Show. (laughs) Uh, She was in Kansas City. She's having a good time. She's got on her red, and you thought she had been a Titans fan. Maybe she would be if she weren't having a guy woo her like it looks like Travis Kelsey's trying to do. And that's our Taylor Swift news of the day here on the Y'all Show. When we come back, we're going to scoot over and tell you about some Southern history as the Bill of Light, Bill of Rights with a birthday today. We'll explain how that came to be back in the early days of our country's founding. Plus today also is William Faulkner's birthday and a couple of guys with some good Southern sports connections with birthdays today. All that is just around the corner as we continue on with more of this Monday show about the South. Quiet up, 
turn the noise down Let this old world just spin around I wanna feel it sway, wanna feel it sway And put some feel good in my soul Drag a little drink, smoke a little smoke I want a little more right And a little less left A little more right now A little less what's next Act like tomorrow's ten years away And just kick back and let the feeling flow Drink a little drink, smoke a little smoke I'm up with that one from the album Carolina. That's Mr. Eric Church. His Tar Heels are doing pretty good. In fact, he was at their first game of the year in Charlotte as they got the victory over the other Carolina from down around Columbia. That that variety of Carolina. But a nice little song to get us back here on the Y'all Show. Now for a little Southern History Spotlight as we continue on with this second hour of our conversation about the South and some big birthdays across the Southeast today, but maybe no bigger birthday today for our country than this is the birthday, if you will, of the United States Bill of Rights as it was created September the 25th of 1789. And this, again, the Bill of Rights comprises the first 10 amendments to the United States Constitution proposed following the debate that happened in the years after the Constitution was created over the ratification of the Constitution and written to address the objections raised by the Anti-Federalist. And this Bill of Rights really owes its existence to Mr. James Madison who would end up becoming a president of the United States in later years. As Madison studied the deficiencies of the Constitution pointed out by the Anti-Federalist and then crafted a series of corrective proposals and Congress approved 12 articles of amendments on September 25th, 1789 and then submitted them to the states for ratification. And that ended up going through ultimately as it was ratified the Bill of Rights, December 15th of 1791. And it's always important here on the Y'all Show for us to remind you exactly what the Bill of Rights are as you have this important date in history and the importance of the amendments that went forward as part of the Bill of Rights. The First Amendment of the Bill of Rights says... Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech 
are of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. It's the good freedom of speech, your First Amendment right. It is the number one thing from the Bill of Rights. That was part of this legislation that went through starting on this date in history. The Second Amendment. We know when that one, what that one is. Go ask any NRA person. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's the Second Amendment. It's been upheld time and time and time again. The Third Amendment, no soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. No quarter. (laughs) Third Amendment. Fourth Amendment, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. So the search and seizure element of the Bill of Rights Fourth Amendment. Are we taking notes on this? Hello, wake up. Fifth Amendment, no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury. So you've got to have a grand jury. That's according to the Fifth Amendment. The Sixth Amendment in the Bill of Rights, in all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed. The right to a speedy trial is what the Sixth Amendment's all about. The Seventh Amendment guarantees in suits at common law where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of a trial by jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise reexamined in any court in the United States than according to the rules of the common law. Something to do with $20. <laughs> and Amendment number seven. The Eighth Amendment says excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. It's about excessiveness. And if you're arrested, you should not have excessive bails or. I mean, I can think of cases right now that are in violation of the Eighth Amendment like the people in Washington, D.C. that haven't even had the due process because of the January 6th rioting. I wonder if they know about the Bill of Rights up there in Washington, D.C. The Ninth Amendment says the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. The Tenth Amendment says the powers not relegate not rather the Tenth Amendment says the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. States rights. If it's not in the Constitution, it goes to the states. That's what the Tenth Amendment says. Those again, the ten amendments to the Constitution that would be known as the United States Bill of Rights. And they were born on this day as they were passed by Congress September 25th 1789 and then go through the state process before they were ultimately ratified in 1791 happy birthday Bill of Rights now let's take you to some early 20th century history today is the birthday of Thomas Hunt Morgan and he was a gentleman out of Lexington Kentucky who was a Nobel Prize winner 
as he got his Ph.D. from John Hopkins University in zoology back in 1890. And he would end up being a very successful evolutionary biologist, geneticist, and embryologist, and won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine in 1933. He won it for discoveries elucidating the role that the chromosome plays in heredity. Thomas Hunt Morgan, who comes from a very famous family there in the Bluegrass State, as his uncle was Confederate General John Hunt Morgan, famous Confederate officer in the Civil War. And he lived in the Kentucky region before going on and being very successful as he is a graduate of the University of Kentucky and, again, getting his Ph.D. from Johns Hopkins University and helped with all kinds of research, linking genes and more, and a Nobel Prize winner in the 1930s, Thomas Hunt Morgan, born on this date in history. He died in 1945 at age 79. Today also is the birthday of William Cuthbert Faulkner, a.k.a. William Faulkner, the great American writer and novelist in his Yaknapatafa County, which is where his short stories were based on in North Mississippi, the Yaknapatafa County, a fictitious county of which he wrote about characters and more. And just like the doctor before him, Thomas Hunt Morgan, Thomas Hunt Morgan, William Faulkner, also a Nobel winner as he was a Nobel laureate. Born on this date in 1897 in New Albany, Mississippi. William Faulkner wrote all kinds of great works like As I Lay Dying, The Sound and the Fury, Light in August, Absalom, Absalom, and Soldiers Pay and more. Used to be a postmaster at the University of Mississippi Post Office. He never graduated from Ole Miss. He just went to school there, but did not graduate, then worked in the post office. In World War I, he went and joined the Canadian Air Force. Never went over and fought in World War I, but had a nice little uniform and joined the fight, if you will, and is considered a Canadian war veteran, William Faulkner, who also won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction twice. And he was born on this day in 1897. Faulkner died in 1962 at the age of 64. And he's a heck of a Southerner. I mean, this is a guy who has a statue in Oxford right on the town square to his memory. His home is a beautiful place to go see, go take pictures when you're there in Oxford at Roanoke, his famous home. And Faulkner, what a what a writer. But what a voice. And here on the Y'all Show, I've got, actually have pulled up his Nobel Prize winning speech when he was there in Stockholm. Is that where they do this thing? <laughs> they do that in uh, and that. And he was awarded the 1949 Nobel Prize in Literature and so let's go in and hear from 1950 his visit to Stockholm where he received the Nobel Prize and you get to hear this voice the guy who had what an impact he had on the printed word 
like this guy's voice too. It's William Faulkner from 1950 and his Nobel Prize winning speech. I feel that this award was not made to me as a man, but to my work, a life's work in the agony and sweat of the human spirit, not for glory and least of all for profit, but to create out of the materials of the human spirit something which did not exist before. So this award is only mine in trust. It will not be difficult to find a dedication for the money part of it commensurate with the purpose and significance of its origin. But I would like to do the same with the acclaimed too, by using this moment as a pinnacle from which I might be listened to by the young men and women already dedicated to the same anguish and travail, among whom is already that one who will someday stand here where I am standing. Our tragedy today is a general and universal physical fear, so long sustained by now that we can even bear it. There are no longer problems of the spirit. There is only the question, when will I be blown up? Because of this, the young man or woman writing today has forgotten the problems of the human heart in conflict with itself, which alone can make good writing because only that is worth writing about, worth the agony and the sweat. He must learn them again. He must teach himself that the basis of all things is to be afraid, and teaching himself that, forget it forever, leaving no room in his workshop for anything but the old verities and truths of the heart the old universal truth lacking which any story is ephemeral and doomed, love and honor and pity and pride and compassion and sacrifice. Until he does so, he labors under a curse. He writes not of love but of lust, of defeats in which nobody loses anything of value, of victories without hope and most of all without pity or compassion. His griefs grieve on no universal bones, leaving no scars. He writes not of the heart but of the glands. Until he relearns these things, he will write as though he stood among and watched the end of man. I decline to accept the end of man. It is easy enough to say that man is immortal simply because he will endure, that when the last ding-dong of doom has clanged and faded from the last worthless rock hanging tideless in the last red and dying evening, that even then there will still be one more sound, that of his puny, inexhaustible voice still talking. I refuse to accept this. I believe that man will not merely endure, he will prevail. He is immortal, not because he alone among creatures has an inexhaustible voice, but because he has a soul, a spirit capable of compassion and sacrifice and endurance. The poet's, the writer's duty is to write about these things. It is his privilege to help man endure by lifting his heart, by reminding him of the courage and honor and hope and pride and compassion and pity and sacrifice which have been the glory of his past. The poet's voice need not merely be the record of man. It can be one of the props, the pillars, to help him endure and prevail. All right, from 1950, that was the Nobel Prize winning speech in Stockholm given by William Faulkner, the great writer from Mississippi. And what a voice. That's why we took the time here on today's Y'all Show to play that entire, or, or at least a section of that, prize-winning speech now if you know anything about william faulkner he's a bit he was a bit of an oddball he was also a drunkard and that's ultimately what killed him in 1962 i think he fell off a horse in bahalia mississippi actually is what led to his death but he was such a an introvert in so many ways in fact we just played you that clip from the 1950 nobel prize speech there in stockholm and he was such a introvert he had a 17 year old daughter at the time 
that did not even know that her daddy was in Sweden receiving a Nobel Prize. She only learned about it when she was called to the principal's office during the school day and found out about it after the fact. Odd. And if you know anything about Faulkner and his time in Oxford, I mean, he was an eccentric kind of guy that a lot of people really didn't like him. He He was an oddball. And here's this guy who's a Nobel Prize winning writer and world famous for the works that he put out there in book form but as a human being just a completely wacko type guy but you can't deny his incredible success and he would go on to be a writer in residence at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville for a number of years his final novel his 19th novel was called The Revere's or The Reavers rather and he unfortunately died again in 1962 at a sanitarium in Bahalia, Mississippi. He's buried at St. Peter's Cemetery in Oxford, just to the east of the town square is where you'll find it. And one of the great writers of all time in, this, in America, at least, William Faulkner, born on this date in 19, or rather 1897. He passed away in 62 at the age of 64. That's how old Uncle Billy was when he died. Let's move on to others with birthdays on this day. It was on this day in 1916 that Jim Benton was born. Jim Benton was a heck of a football player born in Carthage, Arkansas, and went on to play for the Fordyce High School team in Arkansas. That's also the hometown of one Bear Bryant, by the way. And he would ultimately play for the Arkansas Razorbacks and go on to the NFL. And he was a great NFL player as he was part of the 1940s all-decade team playing for the Cleveland Rams and Chicago Bears and then going back and playing for the Los Angeles Rams in the late 1940s. He would even be an L.A. Rams head coach, or rather, he'd be a L.A. Rams wide receivers coach. He would go back and be head football coach of Arkansas Monticello, the Bull Weevils. He was their head coach back in the 1950s, but a great early World War II era football player Jim Benton born on this date and a great Arkansas Razorback player at his time in Fayetteville in the 1930s Sylvester Cruz's birthday is today happy birthday to the Tuscaloosa born football coach he played for the University of Alabama one of their first black football players back in the early 1970s went on to play for the New Orleans Saints briefly then got into coaching first for Bear Bryant as an assistant there in Tuscaloosa and ultimately would work his way through the ranks and in 2004 the Mississippi State Bulldogs hired him to be their head football coach taking over for Jackie Sherrill and Sylvester Croom was the first black coach in the history of the Southeastern Conference so congratulations to Sylvester Croom for that achievement and he coached the Bullies to a couple of years, a couple of bowl games won SEC Coach of the Year in 2007 and ultimately would be shown the door. Well, actually, he I was at his last football game, actually. He got blown out by his arch rival in the Egg Bowl. 45 to nothing was the score in 2009. And after that, he resigned. No, I'm sorry, it was 2008. 2008 Egg Bowl, Vault Hemingway Stadium, the same game that Michael Orr got honored with senior day if you ever see the picture of the blind side and he's up there with the twoies 
same game. That was before the game, and that was one of my last games at Fall Hemingway. Uh, uh, Sylvester Cream, after getting beat 45 to nothing, said, I'm out of here, and resigned as head coach of MSU. Then he would go on to be in the NFL and was in NFL assistant roles for a number of years. Not exactly sure what he's doing right now, but certainly one of the more respected guys and one of the good guys, if you will, of football. Sylvester Croom, Mississippi State head football coach for a number of years, the first black coach in SEC history. With a birthday today, Sylvester is 69 years young today. Happy birthday. Bob McAdoo's birthday is today. Bob McAdoo, born on this date in 1951 in Greensboro, North Carolina. He would go on to be one heck of a basketball player. Played collegiately at UNC back in the 1970s before being drafted as the second overall pick in the 1972 NBA draft by the Buffalo Braves. What a center he was in the NBA and played for teams like the Braves, which would ultimately become the L.A. Clippers. He also played for the Knicks, Celtics, Pistons, and Nets, and then had a number of years with the Lakers, too. A two-time NBA champion in 1982 and 1985 when he was a member of the Lakers, Bob McAdoo, with a birthday today, the North Carolina native. He is 72 years young. Another pretty good basketball player born on this day in history from Hamburg, Arkansas, Scotty Maurice Pippen Sr., a.k.a. Scotty, played 17 NBA seasons. He won six NBA championships with the Chicago Bulls, played his college ball for the Bears of UCA, Central Arkansas, Scotty Pippen, born on this day in history in 1965. He is now 58 years young, Scotty P. Happy birthday, sir. And that's a look at some of our Southern history and birthdays and more here in our second hour of the Y'all Show. When we come back, we're going to wrap up our two up with a little look at Southern Snacks from Southern Snacks. That's a company that makes sweet potato baked chips. And I'm going to tell you all about it. Get your palate clean and ready for some good, delicious chip talk, y'all. Baby love, I think I've been a little too kind. Didn't notice you walking all over my peace of mind And the shoes I gave you as a present Putting someone first only works when you're in their top five And by the way, I'm going out tonight Best believe I'm still bejeweled when I walk in the room I can still make the whole place shimmer And when I meet the band, they ask do you have a man I can still say I don't remember breeds contempt, so put me in the basement when I want the penthouse of your heart. Diamonds in my eyes. I polish up real, I polish up real nice. Nice! I've been waiting for that little part right there. We're back on the Y'all Show, wrapping up our two since we mentioned her name a few minutes ago in our news headlines as she was in Kansas City pulling for her new friend, if you will, Mr. Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs, we thought we'd play that Pennsylvanian turned Hendersonvillian turned Nashvillian 
turned Californian, turned perhaps Kansas Cityan, Taylor Swift to wrap up our number two. Hope you don't mind because we are bejeweled to tell you all kinds of Southern goodness. In fact, speaking of rewinding a little bit, rewinding even further, when we were here on Friday, we told you about an article about the 16 Southern snacks that y'all need to be aware of. Go back and listen to the Y'all Show podcast and you'll see things like moon pies, RC colas, boiled peanuts, divinities on there. A lot of really good, Wickles Pickles is on that list too. Good, good stuff if you're a Southerner. Well, someone pointed out to me, why don't you talk about Southern snacks? And I said, well, I just did. I talked about 16 Southern snacks on the Friday Y'all Show. Go back and listen to us in podcast form on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, as well as Apple Podcasts and Apple iTunes. All of those have it. Just And we're also at y'all.com. We're, we're there. Just go check it out for yourself, fella or fellette. <laughs> but they weren't talking about those. They were talking about the company called Southern Snacks. And that's a real company. Their website is southernsnacks.us. And I got to tell you about this company. is They offer baked sweet potato chips that are seriously crispy, sweet, and savory delicious. And they got a couple of options here as they claim on their website making their seriously crispy, sweet, savory deliciousness from sweet potatoes grown in North Carolina. They use what they call ugly potatoes as they sprinkle them with a hint of organic coconut oil to add a crunch and season with a mix of salt and a bit of cumin. No sugar added. And you can enjoy these Southern Snacks chips with sandwiches, burgers, or snack on them while watching your favorite football team at a movie or wherever. It's Southern Snacks, and they have these sweet potato chips. They got them in two primary flavors. They've got the what looks like sea salt variety that are made from local North Carolina sweet potatoes. And then they also have, the other one they've got is the, what do they call that? The spicy chocolate. And they even have a cheddar and sour cream. So they have three different choices. Sea salt, spicy chocolate, and cheddar and sour cream. Yum, yum, yum. Southernsnacks.us. Check them out. Maybe you'll get hungry. That wraps up Hour 2. Taylor's going to take us to break. We'll see you back here for Hour 3. of this Monday show about the Southeast. John Raw, the general of all things Southern. Glad to have you back aboard on this program powered by y'all.com, the South's homepage. In fact, before we are done here in this final hour, I'm going to give you a quick preview of what's up at y'all.com. In fact, I just put up a really cool story over the weekend that has to do with fishing. 
and some good fishing spots across the southeast. So hang on for that fishing talk as we wrap up this Monday edition. If you'd like to get involved with y'all, you can drop us an email, mail at y'all.com. Would love to hear from you here on this Yom Kippur Monday. Let's start off today with some international headlines, a story just developing. The, According to reports, Black Sea Fleet Commander for Russia was killed in a strike on the Navy headquarters from this past weekend. Did y'all see that footage where a missile, missile strike from Ukraine went into... Sevastopol, the Russian seaport on the Black Sea there in Crimea. And man, it went in. And if you saw the video from the just regular people that were over there having what looked like a vacation, missile goes in. And then like a half second later, boom, because that missile that went in there designed to penetrate floors and go down inside well into the building and then explode. I don't say how, how anybody in that building could have survived. That thing was devastating. And Ukraine evidently had timed it to where they were going to have that strike right when some of the top naval officials for the Russian Navy were getting together over the weekend. And they say, according to the Ukraine Special Operations Forces, they have put out on Telegram that the commander of the Black Sea Fleet was among 34 officers who died in the strike on the fleet's headquarters in Sevastopol late on Friday. And that commander of the Russian Navy, Viktor Sokolov. Once again, the Ukrainians doing a heck of a job, if this is indeed tr- true. In fact, the code name for this strike was Crab Trap. <laughs> and uh, looks like it was a heck of a strike. If, if you're pulling for Ukraine, that is. And they're about to cut off the head of the Russian Navy. Remember, they've already sank. The Ukrainian military forces have already sank Russia's flagship ship in the Black Sea. And that was like Vladimir Putin's big toy, this flagship that was sunk early in the war. And here they now lose another admiral. They in many ways are getting their butt kicked by little Ukraine especially from a naval perspective look I love military history I love military stuff and I I love our military thank you for those who serve and those who've served in this United States military but I I love it I've studied been a ROTC guy for years and years and years went to a military school love it don't claim to be a complete expert, but it's it's one of my interests, if you will, military strategy and history and, and more. And I'm telling you, it looks to me like since Ukraine's had such a hard time pushing through the front line, it's over a thousand miles of front line stretching from southern Ukraine all the way up there past Bakhmut to the Russian border. I'm wondering if they're not Secretly, and I hate to give the, the goods away, Russia, if you're listening, don't take it from me. But it seems to me if, if Ukraine wanted to pull this off, they're not far from having an amphibious attack on Crimea, the peninsula there that's so valuable to them. They're having a hard time going across into 
was it uh, Kherson? The Kherson area is where they liberated last year, but their forces still aren't getting too far past that, heading toward Crimea because the Russians have dug in and have so many landmines, and, and Russia's fighting hard to hold ground. And every time you're on the offense, you lose a lot more people than you do as a defensive soldier. So my thinking, Vladimir Zelensky, if you're listening, is you should try to find a way to have a amphibious attack. I'm talking have ships loaded up with Ukrainian soldiers and personnel and have a D-Day 21st century on the Crimean Peninsula and come in that way if you're able to severe or not sever the cursed bridge, the, the bridge that Putin put in between mainland Russia and the Crimean Peninsula that's such a symbol for him. And they've already damaged it multiple times with drone attacks and more. If they can have that amphibious attack since the Russian Navy has been depleted in so many ways, that would be awesome because they could then go totally destroy that bridge so the Russians can't possibly come across there and try to help out. Then they would be able to take over the port city of Sebastopol and then if they decide to push back up toward Kherson and the rest of Ukraine they would be attacking the Russians then from both the front and the back. And what would be really cool if you're a Ukrainian is not to kill a bunch of Russians, but to have them stop fighting, to have them surrender, have a World War II type deal where the German armies would surrender hundreds of thousands of soldiers at one time. That's what Ukraine desperately needs. They need Russia to be trapped, at least in portions of the front line, and save lives, put them in western Ukraine or wherever, and, and have a nice life. That would be the ideal thing. And they can maybe pull that off if they can find a way to have an amphibious, sort of like a surprise D-Day assault. And it's not that far. And with the Russian Navy severely weakened, heck, there may not be a Russian Navy in the Black Sea by by the time that <laughs> you're, you're reading this. I think it would be an awesome thing because, look, they're running out of time. They're about to have winter in a couple of weeks really start showing up and the the ground's going to be muggy and it's going to be hard to move personnel and I think at this point they need a Hail Mary and if they're not going to have Russian Navy attacks on their ships, I don't even know how many ships they got but just having a few go in there would be awesome because it would create such havoc and I think they'll have a lot of people in Crimea join them on the fight once Ukraine has a presence there and some of the people who've been you know trapped for all these years in Crimea will come out and support the effort to get rid of the Russians I think of course they'll have a lot of saboteurs when they show up too but they the war continues and the story today out of Ukraine is that the Russian Navy commander there in Sevastopol killed in this attack by the Ukrainian forces as the Black Sea Fleet had more than 30 officers taken out in this strike from the weekend 
So you got that going on internationally. You also have today the watch on New Jersey on Bob Menendez, the senator out of New Jersey. Is He's going to have a news conference today talking about, well, I'm sure he really doesn't want to talk about this, but he's got all these indictments now of taking bribes, and he got caught with his hand in the cookie jar, it appears. And so is there going to be a change of Senate seats in New Jersey? Chris Christie over the weekend, the former New Jersey governor, asked if he would try to be a senator for New Jersey, vehemently denied that he had any interest in running for Senate in his native garden state. Chris Christie, you might as well try to go for that. You're not going to become president, so he might be a good senator. He might be a good Senate majority leader one day when Mitch McConnell is no longer in the halls of government. Speaking of the halls of government, McCarthy today saying you have to keep the government open as Congress is trying to fight off a potential government shutdown. We've got October 1st is the date that this is all going to come to a head. And if a resolution hasn't been passed by that time, the federal government is going to be out of business for a time. And it's going to greatly affect people and their lives. And it will affect the markets and more. A shutdown happens when Congress fails to pass some type of funding legislation that is signed into law by the president. And lawmakers are supposed to pass 12 different spending bills to fund agencies across the entire United States government. But it's a very time-consuming process, and therefore, politicians often resort to to passing temporary extensions called continuing resolutions, or CRs, and that allows the government to keep operating. And in this political theater that we're seeing playing out right now in Washington, D.C., don't be surprised if they don't come up with a CR to get past the next few weeks, at least, of Congress. But Democrats are putting Kevin McCarthy in a shutdown squeeze, according to reports, and he is going to have to put up or shut up. He doesn't have that many fans to start with in the halls of Congress, and the Democrats are watching closely what's going to happen with Kevin McCarthy and if he can find a solution to this government shutdown potential. And from what I'm seeing and reading, it's very, very likely to happen. October 1st is only a few hours away in some ways. And I just don't know if he has the support of the hardliners that are wanting to come out and have him stay focused on the budget side of things instead of giving in. We'll find out. Today is Yom Kippur and one of Kevin McCarthy's allies has been Northwest Georgia Congressman Marjorie Green and in a greeting that she had with an image of the Hanukkah menorah she was sending out this week a Yom Kippur message. On Sunday the Georgia political had a Yom Kippur greeting, but she used the incorrect imagery associated with an entirely different Jewish holiday. (laughs) Sorry about that, Marjorie. And the original message she wrote, 
To all those preparing for the solemn day of Yom Kippur, I wish you a meaningful fast. And then she wrote, Gamar Chazama Tova. And along with that, she wrote with an image of a shofar in front of a Hanukkah menorah with which was incorrect. She ultimately deleted it and she fired off a new message on social media without the imagery. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, I'm not Jewish, but even when I saw this, I thought, I thought the menorah was for Hanukkah, not Yom Kippur. Poor old Marjorie. Somebody needs to be with her before she gets out on social media. She doesn't help herself out at all. Another case in point from the complete opposite spectrum is not long ago, if you haven't heard about this, she was back in her congressional district and she was at the Chickamauga National Battlefield and she was talking about southern monuments and preservation of maybe Confederate monuments. And she did a great job. I mean, I'm all for that. I'm all for saving the monuments. But unfortunately, Marjorie didn't even pay attention to the monument behind her. The monument she was trying to save was a Yankee, a Union monument. And they don't tear down Union monuments, Marjorie. They only tear down Confederate ones. Or even worse, they, they put them in storage never to be seen again. As has happened time and time and time again. So again, maybe, just maybe, she might want to have a editor and I'm available. Congressman Green of Georgia. Not a smart move. MTG. Elsewhere in our headlines across the Southeast today, you have a story about Hollywood and the Writers Guild. It looks like they've come up with some kind of solution to end the strike that the Writers Guild and the Hollywood Studios have been going through. As a tentative agreement, it appears Sunday formed according to an email to members the writers guild of america reached a tentative agreement with the alliance of motion picture and television producers amptp and they said this was made possible by the enduring solidarity of wga members and the extraordinary support of the union siblings who joined on the picket line for over 146 days now there's still an actor strike going on and that has not changed. The actor strike continues. But according to reports, this is a three-year agreement that's now been formed with the writers. So perhaps if you have a favorite TV or streaming show you'd like to see, you might be back in luck. And they'll be whipping out these episodes very soon. But they might be doing it without actors because, again, the actors are continuing to strike, it appears. That's where in our news headlines today, horrible tragedy from the weekend in the state of Florida. In Hillsborough County, six people have died, including three children, after a train hit an SUV. And these six people were all either coming from or going to the 16th birthday type celebration in the Hispanic world and that caused their death six people three three of them dead after an SUV crossed railroad tracks in Hillsborough County it was a Cadillac Escalade SUV that according to the sheriff of Hillsborough County Chad Chronister said it 
looked like a soft drink can that's been smashed. The freight train was going 55 miles per hour when it hit the SUV. The SUV was en route to a Kinsinera party and a horrible tragedy with six people losing their lives in Florida there. Another Floridian unfortunately killed over the weekend when an alligator killed her. 41-year-old Sabrina Peckham died after a 13-foot, 8-and-a-half-inch alligator evidently surprised her while she was walking near a canal there in Largo, Florida. And people in her neighborhood spotted a gator with a torso of a woman inside of it and reported it to authorities, and then they found the rest of her body nearby. But she evidently was surprised and killed by this gator over the weekend and a horrible thing. This gator, again measuring 13 foot, 8 and a half inches, nearly a Florida record. The longest alligator ever found in the state of Florida, 14 foot, 3 and a half inches. And that was harvested in Brevard County at Lake Washington back in 2010. And this huge gator, which should have been already discovered in the past, but it, according to the people in the neighborhood, They'd only seen five and six foot gators in that Largo, Florida canal. And now this big gigantic gator possibly could have come up after the recent hurricane hit that area. Surprises and kills a 41 year old woman and then parades around the neighborhood with her body in its mouth. The gator was ultimately euthanized in a humane way, they say there in the state of Florida. But what a massive gator. And I hate to hear that a innocent lady loses her life as a result of this animal, this monster. If you're traveling to New Orleans or if you live in the New Orleans area, you might want to be aware of saltwater wedge. That's the word of the day in the Big Easy. Experts say that there's a saltwater wedge moving around one and a half miles upriver every day. And it's creating unsafe levels of saline. And that's affecting the drinking water of South Louisiana communities along the Mississippi River. So this is being caused by a lack of fresh water coming down the Mississippi River because of drought conditions that have been going on in some portions of the interior of the United States. And this salt water, this wedge, is threatening the Big Easy of New Orleans and Governor John Bell Edwards over the weekend met with local officials to head off the problem caused by the low water levels. He calls the situation serious, but he urged people in Louisiana not to panic, to not to go out and buy bottled waters in shopping sprees. Instead, Instead, he says to conserve your tap water. The Army Corps of Engineers say they are working to bring as much as 36 million gallons of fresh river water into the New Orleans area to dilute the saltiness to sate levels. And they do that by flooding or releasing the water they've got contained in upriver Mississippi, upriver dams and upriver lakes in states like Arkansas and Mississippi. And I assume even some, I guess they could affect some of the Ohio River tributaries and the lakes there, like Kentucky Lake, they could 
pour more water out into the Ohio and Tennessee, and that would end up coming on down to New Orleans and helping out the case of salt water being too much, too, too prevalent right now in the state of Louisiana. A possible listeria contamination to tell you about if you've bought recently the not fried chicken or the Life is Peachy products from the company Life Raft Treats. They make ice cream. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration announcing that Life Raft Treats has recalled these two products of theirs, not fried chicken and Life is Peachy. Those are two flavors of their ice cream. They pulled them because of a possible listeria contamination. As this ice cream was shipped to consumers in 39 states starting on August 28th. And this not fried chicken is a 64 ounce bucket of ice cream. And it has two and a half ounce bars inside of the treats are designed to look like pieces of fried chicken and they are what uh, one website calls Life Raft Treats Signature Offering and they also have waffle flavored ice cream and crushed cornflakes surrounding a cookie bone sounds pretty good to me but how about a bucket not of chicken but of ice cream that's designed to kind of look like ice cream or, or like chicken rather that's the one flavor the other one is the life is peachy treats and that's also being recalled that is a peach flavored frozen dessert made to mimic the appearance of actual peaches and it's been recalled too so the company the parent company is life raft treats they've got this recall going on of these different products as they were shipped to consumers and in the grocery stores and other areas where their life raft treats are on sale in 39 states and in the south that includes all of our southern states with the exception of West Virginia and Missouri every other state is on this list of a possible recall so please do not eat life raft treats if you have the two different flavors that we're telling you about today the not fried chicken and the life is peachy because they may have a possible listeria contamination going on this stuff can be deadly remember they had a listeria outbreak with bluebell some 10 15 years ago and many people died at the plant and i think even some customers may have died and it was horrible i can't even believe that bluebell survived that they did and they're doing quite well but boy what a hit they took just as bad as the Tylenol thing from way back in the early 80s or 70s whenever they had people dying of having Tylenol speaking of pharmacies and more and and businesses across the southeast Rite Aid is going to close hundreds of stores as part of a bankruptcy settlement the Wall Street Journal reporting this. And they're going to close roughly Rite Aid 400 to 500 stores. They have about 2,100 Rite Aid drug stores spread over 17 states. 
and no decisions yet have been made on where the actual closers are going to be. This is a Philadelphia, Pennsylvania-based company, Rite Aid. They're facing more than $3.3 billion in debt, and they've got over 1,000 federal lawsuits over Rite Aid's alleged role in the opioid epidemic. They are denying those charges. But it looks like they're going to have to do some massive closures of Rite Aid locations across the areas of which they have their Rite Aid pharmacies. Some business news here to tell you about on the Y'all Show. Also in our headlines across the southeast, two men in Folly Beach, South Carolina, arrested for killing a seagull on the beach. You don't want to go kill seagulls. And Sebastian Whitesock and Braden Durst now finding out the hard way. The two men, right around age 20, have been charged with crimes including malicious entry to animals and personal property. Also charged, one of them, with ill treatment of animals. A police report from Folly Beach, which is just outside of Charleston, says that officers responded Saturday to reports of a man who had just killed a seagull. And as officers approached the two men, they admitted to killing the bird, while one of them said that they filmed it. And the guy threw a large stick at the bird, and the bird fell to its death. They were held at the Al Cannon Detention Center in North Charleston, South Carolina. Again, don't be like Mr. White Sock and Mr. Durst and be arrested for killing a seagull. There's a shortage of seagulls, evidently. Just kidding. No, you're not supposed to do it. Don't do it. By the way, Sebastian White Sox, I wonder who his favorite Major League Baseball team is. You would, you would hope it would be the Chicago White Sox with a name quite like, uh, he's almost got an almost identical name to the Major League Baseball team. Elsewhere, one of the biggest R&B singers going, Chris Brown, he's in the news. He's being sued because of an unpaid loan that he used to purchase two Popeye's restaurants. The Blast is reporting that City National Bank is now suing Chris Brown for $2 million, alleging it loaned him money to acquire a pair of Popeye's locations in Georgia. The lawsuit claims the loan, which was given to several people, including Brown and the Dream, has not been paid The lawsuit names Brown as a personal guarantor, which means he's on the hook for the unpaid portion of the loan. And City National Bank says they've been trying to get this money since 2018. I wonder if the Popeyes even opened up wherever the locations were in the state of Georgia. Chris Brown, pay up. Two million. You're on the loan. You're on the, your, your name is on the dotted line, sir. Or maybe the bank could just get $2 million worth of fried chicken and some of that, what do they have, red beans and rice. And uh, they don't have boudin at Popeye's, but they do have them good biscuits. Yummy. Some other entertainment stories from the world of hockey, a sad story. Nicholas Curdiles has died in Nashville at the age of 29. He played briefly in the NHL. Born in Texas, 
played for the Anaheim Ducks for a few years, some 10, 15 years back. More notably, perhaps, than his NHL career, he was engaged and was to be married to reality TV star Savannah Chrisley of Chrisley Knows Best. They split up in 2020, but she's now coming out after this wreck over the weekend with a message on social media saying, I miss and I love you. We loved hard, and I can't wait to ride bikes along the beaches of heaven with you one day. This former hockey player died in Nashville after he went through a stop sign on a motorcycle and hit the driver's side of an SUV. There were no signs of impairment in either the SUV driver or in Mr. Kurt Isles. He died at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Police do not anticipate any charges in this crash, but a guy who, again, died on a motorcycle crash in the early morning hours of Saturday in Metro Nashville. He was a native Texan who went on and played in the NHL. I bet you there aren't too many people who were born in Texas that had played in the NHL. (laughs) I think that's a very small list. I bet you, honestly, there's a... You could put on one sheet of paper every Southern-born NHL hockey player. There just can't be many. We just don't play hockey down here. Now, this guy maybe only played hockey because his mother was French-Canadian. Eh? What's that all about? Wee-wee? But sadly, again, he dies at age 29, Nicholas Curdiles in Nashville over the weekend. And a big entertainment story from the weekend. Taylor Swift was in Kansas City checking out Travis Kelsey and the Kansas City Chiefs as they routed the Chicago Bears 41-10. And Miss Swift, that's M-I-S-S, was up with his mama, Travis Kelsey's mama, watching the game. Donna and Taylor had a good time in the glass-enclosed suites of the... Arrowhead Stadium spectacle as Donna's all-pro tight end and Super Bowl champion son was out there on stage in front of the 12-time Grammy Award winner Taylor Swift. In fact, Mr. Kelsey grabbed a three-yard touchdown pass and that made the Kelseys and, and the Swifty cheer like little girls. Now, Travis did not speak to reporters after the game, but he was spotted leaving Arrowhead with Taylor Swift by his side. you got to be kidding me. I think he met her on on social media. I think that's how this all met. So if you've got a celebrity crush, just kind of saying it, you never know. Get out there and start flirting. They might just answer back. That appears to be what's happening between Taylor and Travis. Now, someone pointed out to me, Taylor's got a new movie about to hit theaters, her concert that's going to be on big screens, and she's got new music and got a lot of stuff going on. It's football season right now in the NFL, so there's a lot of talk about that particular league, and it was pointed out to me that this could all be a big publicity stunt, that this is not really about trying to fall in love Taylor recently just broke up with somebody and Kelsey I think's had 
multiple relationships, somewhat publicized. But he's a big-time superstar in the sports world, and she's a big-time, big-time, big-time superstar, Taylor Swift. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if she goes with him on the road, whoever the Chiefs play next. Taylor and her new football-playing bro. (laughs) I don't know how you would describe it at this point, but uh, we'll keep our eye because you see here at the Y'all Show, powered by y'all.com, we got our eye on all this southern gossip. And this is this is big stuff here between the Swifts and the Kelseys. All right, so we'll, we'll do you a favor and stay on top of it. And that wraps up our news headlines here for the Monday. When we come back, we got our Southern Culture Spotlight, and we're going to light up your life as thanks to Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, we got the salt and light. And that was the inspiration, if you will, behind the guest preacher that I heard Sunday. And I'm going to take what his interest is, is is, is light. He likes light. I kind of like light, too. It's a good thing. And we'll talk about how there are these light pollution maps that you can get online. And we're going to kind of scan the South, thanks to the salt and light portion of the Bible, (laughs) and tell you about which parts of the South are pretty dark. We know where the big bright lights are of the South, but what about the areas that don't show up so big on these light pollution maps? That's coming up. Plus, before the hour is up, we'll have a preview of what's on the Y'all Show going forward the rest of the week. So it's a busy, busy Monday, and we're going to get to all of that when we come right back. So don't you go anywhere. We're going to light up your life. Phrase from Matthew 5, 13 through 16 that we welcome you back into y'all for a little southern conversation, if you will. And so sitting in my very, very back row pew of the church Sunday, the guest preacher was actually from all the way in Nagoya, Japan, a humongous city in Japan. It's one of the top three cities in that nation. 
But he came on and, and told us about this Matthew 5, 13 through 16, the salt and light verses, if you will, of the Bible that say, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Salt and light. So the guest preacher, Jeremy was his name, is a missionary based in Nagoya, Japan. And he came on and talked about Japan a little bit, told us how people in Japan, what they tell him is they have no hope. Japanese have no hope. And if you're a Christian, that country, one of the biggest, most advanced countries in the entire world, less than 1% of Japanese are Christians. That's part of the reason, according to Jeremy, they have no hope. There are tremendous suicide rates in the nation of Japan. They see things completely different than most Americans do. In fact, he goes around and says, oftentimes when my wife and I meet Japanese people, we're the first Christians they've ever talked to in their entire lives. That's his testimony again from church on Sunday. Now, one of the other things he pointed out was that he's a big nerd. <laughs> and one of the things that he likes to do is look at the Google light pollution maps and other light pollution maps. Have y'all ever seen those things? If you get a chance, just look up light pollution. In fact, you can go to the website that I'm on right now, lightpollutionmap.info. And you can pull this thing up and see. And so what he pointed out was, speaking of the Bible verse of light, salt and light, the tremendous, if you look at one of these maps, the tremendous darkness that you find in, like, looking at these maps, the oceans. There's no light when you look at these maps, but you look at the United States and you're going to see California lit up bright. And you're going to look at New York and all the major metro areas lit up big. But that vastness of the darkness of the oceans and portions of Africa, for example, portions of Canada, just darkness because there's not people there. There's, there's not light lighting things up. So it had me intrigued, again, not only about the whole Japanese, no hope, no light, no nothing to look forward to to come into their lives, and, and we wish that country the best. But I'm also kind of a nerdy person myself, so I had to go to this light pollution map, and as part of our Southern Cultural Spotlight here on this Monday edition, I was going to kind of scan the southeast real quick and tell you, not our brightest places. We know that Atlanta lights up bright at night. We know the big areas of Washington, D.C., Memphis, Nashville, all of the Little Rock area lit up bright, of course, the big Texas cities. What areas of the south don't get lit up much in the evening hours and that's because there aren't a lot of people living there I would say looking at this light pollution map the state of Florida 
is pretty lit up except for Lake Okeechobee, naturally. But really, all those areas around Lake Okeechobee, which you can, you can, and 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 I have family members who live. I've got, I got family, very very close family that own property in Indian Town, down in Martin County, in the state of Florida, and that's in a dark area according to this map. Then you got in South Georgia, the Okefenokee Swamp area is definitely not very well lit up at nighttime. For good reason. Then in the state of South Carolina, it's pretty lit up except for where the Murdochs are from. Around Hampton County, along the Savannah River, it's pretty dark there. And on the other side of the river in Georgia, it's pretty dark. And then, surprising the area east of Athens, Georgia, I would say around Washington, Georgia, is pretty dark according to this map. So, maybe what I'm telling you here, if you're looking for a new place to move to, and you don't want to be around a lot of people, these are some good, good options. I would say West Alabama is pretty dark at night. Not a lot of lights around Selma. Uh, rather, Selma. I'm getting it confused with the town of Tennessee. Uh, the Mississippi Delta is pretty pretty dark, especially south of Greenville at nighttime if you look at the light pollution map. North Louisiana has got a lot of darkness going on there. Arkansas, areas both to the east and west of Pine Bluff are pretty dark at night and then in North Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas east of Fayetteville from Fayetteville on over toward Jonesboro is pretty dark at night and then the Boot Hill of Missouri and Poplar Bluff seems to be pretty dark not a lot of light registering and then there's an area of Tennessee that shows up pretty dark at nighttime too and I'm going to zoom in it's around Lawrenceburg and Waynesboro for whatever reason that's a pocket of the volunteer state that shows up rather dark on this map and I'd say somewhere around uh, east of Lexington, Kentucky is also a dark area. Just check it out when you get a chance. Light pollution map and perhaps you can play around with it and see some other areas. If you're wanting to go where there's not a lot of light those are places to go. Matthew 5, 13 and 16 say how you are the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty? Again it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Keep that in mind. We're going to wrap the Y'all Show up with a quick break here. We're going to come back and tell you what's ahead on the Y'all Show going forward the rest of the week as the show about the South continues. little portion before we get out of here on this monday edition what's ahead on the y'all show going forward the rest of the week on our tuesday edition a lot of books will be discussed we'll have the latest new york times bestsellers and more on our book report we also have our takapola storyteller jerry short back in the fold on our tuesday y'all show plus plenty of food talk to boot on wednesday's y'all show we'll have our southern business spotlight in addition to some more food and history discussion on our Thursday Y'all Show, hang on for the fun on Thursday because Kiefer Ingalls will be back to talk about the weekend coming up in college football. Kiefer is our pigskin prognosticator. 
and he'll be on Thursday. In addition to that, we'll have the country music news. It's the Nashville Music Line Report and a look at festivals across the southeast also appearing on our Thursday show. And Friday, we wrap it all up with Paul Hare of the Hare Financial Group and what's going on on the markets and more. Plus, we have hashtag Hullabaloo, and we have our Friday Free For Y'all where we'll have a really cool item to tell you about and play some good southern music. All that's ahead on the week of Y'all Talk with an Accent on the South. Until we see you back here on Tuesday, have a great rest of your day.